can avoid it altogether. So it says in James 1, ver- beginning in verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Let's look at opportunity. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. So what does this say? This says that the origin of temptation is one own personal desire. It's your own wants and your own feelings. There you have the opportunity. And the action of temptation is to drag you away or to entice. And when you think about it, it's like a predator. A predator drags away their prey. Enticed, you have a fishing lure, and you're trying to entice your fish to the hook. That's how sin is. You have this opportunity. You have this dangling opportunity to sin. It's right there. It's asking for you to take it. And often we feel tempted. They are thinking about taking some pleasure from sin. For example, maybe taking the pleasure of taking revenge on your enemies, or the pleasure of committing adultery, or the pleasure of lewdness or drunkenness. There you have the opportunity. There you have the pleasure that you can take if you take that chance. There's the opportunity. There's that lure. But in reality, you're being captured by that. Because, when, because Christians are becoming the prey when they are enticed by that opportunity. So now we have the motivation. So what is the motivation? Well, it says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So what is your motivation to sin? What motivates you to commit a- fraud against God? Well, sometimes we blame others for our situations. Have you ever blamed your parents or other people for what you've become or for the sin that you've done? Have you blamed others around you? Or have you thought, well, you know, so-and-so sins as well, and they're being hypocritical at church. Well, why can't I do that as well? Does that ever happen to you? Do you ever feel this motivation to sin? Because people and circumstances affect us. And one of the most significant ways that we resist the work of God for our growth toward becoming mature and complete Christians is that we blame outside of our s- people outside of ourselves for sin. We blame others for our sin. We blame, we have the motivation because it's someone else. It's not me. It's other pr- someone else who's motivating me to sin. And then we rationalize it. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So now we have this opportunity to sin. We have the motivation to sin. And then we rationalize the desire, and sin is born. And we try to justify that. Well, it's okay if I do this sin. It's perfectly fine. It's only one-time kind of thing. It's only, people won't ever find about it. It's going to be victimless. It's just going to affect me. We try to rationalize it. We try to think, well, if I don't commit this sin, then it's just going to be on my mind all the time, and so I have to do it right now, or else I'm going to have this headache, or I'm just going to have all all this stress added from it. So I have to do it. I have to rationalize it. So it's okay if I do that. Does that not often happen to you? Do you not oftentimes think, well, it's okay this one time. I'm going to rationalize this. Let's think about this doing this sin logically. It's okay. Does that not happen to you? Do you not justify that sin in your mind when you do it? Isn't that terrible? 
Because you're committing fraud. You're committing fraud against your eternal boss, against God. And something that in my business ethics class that we did a lot was where we would grab a case of fraud or of something that went wrong in a business, and we would analyze it. We would analyze what happened, what were the factors that caused someone to commit fraud against a big company, or what caused the company to get commit fraud against their employees, or caused someone to invade, hack that company's software and leak it to the public. And so if you'll join me, I would like to look at a case study of King David, because David exemplifies these three principles of opportunity, motivation, and rationalization in committing a sin, in committing a fraud within the fraud triangle. So if you will read with me, we'll look first at opportunity. What was the opportunity that David had to commit sin? And, it's, and if you'll read with me in 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened. One evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So we have an opportunity. Look what it says in the beginning of this verse. It happened in the time when kings go out to battle. And then it says, but David remained at Jerusalem. What was David supposed to be doing? He was supposed to be out in battle with his, with his soldiers. He was supposed to be doing that. Instead, he was lazy and he stayed home. We don't know why he stayed, but he was supposed to be out there with his fellow men, with his fellow soldiers. Instead, he decided to stay. And because he didn't go and do what he was supposed to do, the opportunity for sin arose. He sees a beautiful woman. If you think about that, if David had been doing his job, if he had been doing what he was supposed to be doing, this would have never happened. This would have never occurred. But instead, because he wasn't doing what he was supposed to, the devil found a way to get to David, to attack him, to give him an opportunity to sin. So now he sees this beautiful woman bathing and bathing. And now he has this opportunity to sin. But what is his motivation? So he sees this lady. He sees this beautiful woman. What's the motivation for him to commit this sin? He's the king. He can have whatever he wants. What's his motivation? Well, if you read with me a little bit later on the verse, it says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. We don't know the exact reasoning, 100%, why David was motivated to sleep with her. Maybe he took her in arrogance. He thought, I'm the king. I can have whatever I want. I see this woman. I'm going to take her for my own. But it's interesting because he asks, who is this woman? 
And they tell her very well that she's the wife of Uriah. She's a married woman. He knows who she is. And maybe he thought, well, she's Uriah's wife. I'm going to invite her over to dinner to give her a, per, uh, to, to thank, her, thank her for all the work that her husband has been doing. Or maybe he thought, well, I'm just, I just want her to come over. I just want to talk to her. She's such a beautiful woman. Why shouldn't I not talk to her? I'm the king, and I'd like to speak to such a wonderful woman. But he let that he became motivated to sin. And, of course, that became, went further and further until he committed adultery with her. And not only did he commit adultery with her, but he conceived a baby with her. And if we read on later in the story, David's worried now, because he's like, well, I made this woman pregnant. People are going to find out that I committed adultery with her. Uriah's going to get mad. And if you remember, adultery was a, was a punishment, was punished by death. And I don't read in the Old Testament that was the king was ex- an exception for that rule. And so David tries to hide that. He tries to invite, he brings Uriah back and tries to see if he can hide the sin by having him sleep with his wife so that she can appear as if he was the father. Well, that doesn't work. Uriah is an honorable man. He says, how can I do this when my soldier is out in the battlefield? So then he tries to get Uriah drunk. If remember, he tries to drink him up, make him get drunk, so drunk that he doesn't remember anything that's happening. But even then, Uriah sleeps at the porch of his house. So David's left with nothing. Now he has real motivation. He doesn't know how he can, he needs to hide away his sin. He needs to make sure that nobody finds out what, he's doing, what happened. He's motivated to save his honor, his reputation. So he tells Joab, when all the soldiers are, when, oh, when the soldiers are in the battlefield, pull back so that Uriah dies. He sends Uriah to die so that his sin could be covered. And you know what's the worst part about that? Is that Uriah was a loyal soldier to David. Uriah was a loyal soldier to his own men, to his own army. From we can tell Uriah was a good man, and David sends him to die because of David's sin. And the worst part is that he tries to rationalize why that was okay for him to do that. Why it was fine for him to kill a man, to kill an innocent soldier, he rationalizes it. And he tells Joab, after all that is done, he says in 2 Samuel 11, beginning in verse 23, And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the gate of the entrance. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant, Uriah the Hittite, is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. David has just rationalized murder. He just told Joab, It's okay. People die on the battlefield all the time. Don't feel bad. He tells this messenger, go encourage Joab with these words. It's okay that you, that you pulled back from a soldier who needed help fighting back the city. It's okay. This happens all the time. People die in war all the time. 
Yeah, people die in war all the time, but usually not from the cause of people killing them on their own side. It's just the enemy who's trying to kill them. Not the guy that you're fighting for. Not the guy that you're out there risking your neck for. Instead, David has justified that to Joab, and he says, it's okay. This happens all the time. People fall by the sword. He has rationalized the sin. He has rationalized his adultery with war. Isn't that something? Isn't that crazy how sin can take you? How one lustful look can lead to someone's death. How sin can take us farther than we ever want to go. How sin took David farther than he ever thought imaginable. Because he's now killing his own people. He's now killing a man who was a Hittite, not even an Israelite. Someone from a different country who chose to fight for David. He's now sending that man off to die. Well, how can we escape? How can we escape the sin triangle? How can we escape this endless cycle of sinning? Well, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with a temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So there is a way of escape. And now I'd like to show you a simple anagram that we could use to help us escape sin, to help us think about what we're going to do. And counselors use this for people who have addictions such as heroin, drugs, alcohol, or even pornography. So today I'd like to look at the STAR method. And so the STAR method is how we can avoid this cycle. So the first thing we need to do is we need to stop. You have to stop what you're doing long enough that you can think about it. Observe what is happening. A successful Christian will wait and think about what they're about to do. So before you're about to do something that may be questionable, that may have sinful implications, stop. What are you doing? Think about it. And that's the next step. We need to think. Think, what are my alternatives or choices? What could I be doing instead of this? And what is the behavior that I am choosing to do? Is this a good behavior or is this a bad behavior? And also think of the consequences of the actions that I'm about to take. Did David think about the consequences that he, that he had? Did David stop? He didn't. He didn't stop. He didn't think about what could this could lead. Well, if I sleep with this woman, that could lead to her to getting pregnant. And that could lead to me even killing a man. He didn't think. Then you need to act. So once you decide on your best choice of action, you have to do it. But remember, you are the one making that choice. You are the one who's acting. You are responsible for what you do. It's not anyone else. Don't go blaming this on anyone else. Don't go blaming your sinful behavior. Don't go blaming stealing money from your company because your boss is mean. Don't go justifying this because your situations and because you're poor or because you can't make money. Don't justify your sin on this. Remember that you are the one that you're responsible. And in fact, to help you remember this, 
whenever you're doing something, think, I am choosing to dot, dot, dot. I am choosing to sin. I am choosing to look lustfully after someone. I am choosing to disobey God. I am choosing to drink alcohol when I shouldn't be drinking. I am choosing to curse. I am choosing these things. Remember, it's your responsibility. You are the one who's doing it. And then you need to review. After acting, what happened as a result? Review what happens. Ask yourself, how did my action get me closer or further away from God? And then after you reviewed all this, repeat the process again and again until you're not doing it anymore. But you have to stop, you have to think, you have to act, and you have to review about what you're doing. And ultimately, we need to replace carnal thinking with spiritual uplifting. And if you'll turn to me to Romans 13, beginning in verse 13, I don't have it up there. I thought, well, I, you know, I've been so easy with you guys on the PowerPoint that I had to put a verse that you guys had to look for. So if you'll turn with me to Romans 13, beginning in verse 13, it says, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Because you can't expect to grow as a Christian and you can't expect to leave the cycle of sin that you're in without replacing that with God and without replacing each step of opportunity, of motivation, and of rationalization with God. And sometimes we're, when we're really tempted. We're at the point where I have to give in. I have to do this. There's an old song in the hymnals, and it's called, Did You Think to Pray? Did you think to pray? Did you think at the moment of your weakness, did you ever go on your knees and you ask and you pray to God, Lord, please help me with my sin? Did you think to pray? Did you sing hymns? Often if we're singing hymns, that is a mental, cognitive work that we need to be doing. And so if we're focusing our mind on songs and on singing and on mem memorizing the songs, they won't be thinking about the temptation. We won't be thinking about the sin that we're going to do. So sing hymns. Or read verses concerning the appropriate Bible topic. So if you have a temptation in something, if you have a weakness in an area, why don't you just turn to the Bible and read about the consequences that people had to face with that? Why don't you turn to the Bible and look at verses that tell you not to do that? The scripture's right here just for that. Here, it's, for here, it's here for you to avoid those kind of things. Or for you should find a Christian to encourage, to help one another, or to be encouraged. There is an association in America called Alcoholics Anonymous. And they have something called a buddy system. And so this person who's your buddy is someone who keeps you accountable. They're your accountability partner. And they're always checking up on you. So how are you doing this week? You know, have you fallen? Have you, you know, have you been strong? And they're always there to keep you accountable. Find an, accountable, find an accountability partner. 
If you struggle with a sin, know that you cannot fight it alone. Find someone who will encourage you and who will strengthen you, who will keep you accountable, who will be your buddy. So find a buddy. Because sin is an endless cycle that will never leave you es- let you escape. But you can avoid that. You can avoid the sin triangle. Remember, there's opportunity, there's motivation, and there's rationalization to sin. But you can escape sin. Because, yeah, we've been looking at this from a negative standpoint. There is the sin triangle. But we can escape sin because we need to recognize that there is a way to escape from it all. From maybe following the STAR method, you can reevaluate your decisions that you're going to do so you don't fall into the traps of temptation like David did. And once you've avoided that temptation, once you've avoided that carnal thinking, you need to replace that with something else. You need to replace that with God, with scripture, with encouragement, with thinking on good things, with prayer, with encouraging a brother, with finding an accountability partner that can help you. Iron sharpens iron. There's a reason why the Bible says that. Because just like there is a sin triangle, there's a salvation triangle. Because you have the opportunity to do good. The opportunity to do what is right. You have the motivation to do what's right because God wants you to. God wants you to, be mo- to do good things. And you want to please your God because he's your father and he loves you very much. And then you have the rationalization of that. Because if you rationalize that what I am doing is good and just, you don't want to sin. And just like the salvation triangle, here today, there might be someone who might want to be saved. Well, you have an opportunity. We want you to come and to be baptized into Christ. Or if you're a Christian and you haven't, and you haven't been living the way you have, that you should be, and you've been caught in this cycle of giving in to the opportunity to being motivated to sin and to rationalizing your sins, we have the opportunity to get away from that. You have a motivation to. And now we, you can rationalize, and both people can be rationalized to come back to God, to be part of God, where God wants you to be with him in forever. Because God gave us a plan of salvation to save people. He gave us an opportunity to hear the word of God Here's your opportunity. You've just heard the word of God. you just heard the Bible. We've been singing about, about God. We've been reading the word of God. We just read Ezra. There's your opportunity. You must believe in the word of God. You must repent of your sins. And you also have, must confess. That right there is your motivation. You recognize that what you have heard and what you have read is truth, and you have a motivation to want to change them to be a better person now. And then you have to act on that, so you need to be baptized. And lastly, you need to remain faithful until the end of your life. That is your rationalization. Because God tells us if we remain faithful, he will give us a crown of life. We will be with him for all eternity with him forever. And so, there is a way to escape. God has offered us an opportunity today. 
to be poor with him once again. You have the opportunity right now. You have the motivation to do that. And you have the rationalization to be with God forever. So if there's anyone who would like to be baptized or would like to become part of God once again, to be part of the fold, if there's any way that we can help you be with God once again, please come forward as we stand and sing.